bit this morning, if that's all right with you guys. Yeah. Awesome, like two people are ready for it. That's good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Great, awesome. Uh, so we are going on in our new sermon series, Exponential. Um, and before we get in, I have a question for you guys. Maybe some of you can help me out here. What if you knew then what you know now? What if you knew then what you knew now? Have you ever asked yourself that question before? Right? If you had today's wisdom back then, what would you do differently in your life? Maybe that's a loaded question for some of you. <laughs> right? Maybe if you, had, uh, if you had today's wisdom, you'd go back and you'd play the stock market a little different. You know, if you could go back to before Apple computers or Amazon really took off, put like a hundred bucks in there, you know, you'd more than double, triple quadruple your money. You'd be pretty set, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> or maybe you would eat differently after talking to your cardiologist. I don't know. For me, uh, you know, maybe the Wendy's, the Chick-fil-A, the Taco Bell wouldn't be part of your five main food groups. I don't know. Um, or maybe, you know, if you're really like me, you could go back to high school and change a hairstyle that you had. Um, Debbie knows. She's seen all of my different stages of my hair. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, if I, if I only knew that my little mustache that I had was not nearly as cool as I thought it was in high school. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, Joe knows too, yeah. Um, but all that being said, it's safe to say, right, if we had today's wisdom back then, for the most part, we would do some things differently, right? Um, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. But today, this morning, we're going to see that with God's word, the future is just as clear as the past. The future is just as clear as the past. So if you remember back a couple weeks, the first week in, uh, in this sermon series, Pastor Tom shared a thought. It was very powerful. He said that God is not a God of addition, but he's a God of multiplication. Right? God is not a God of addition, but of multiplication. The reason why so many of us miss out on this exceedingly abundant, this exponential, this more life that Jesus wants for us is that we think too small most of the time. Right? We try and fit God into our box, into our mindset, and, and we expect him to act in that way. We think addition, God thinks multiplication. Right? But I want to add another thought and kind of expand on that a little bit this morning. I think we miss the exponential growth and the blessing that God wants to rain down on us because of this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down this morning. We miss that because we are consumed by the temporary rather than focused on the eternal. We are consumed by the temporary, by the stuff, the things that go around us in this life rather than the eternal things. We're so caught up by the things of this world that we're missing the stuff that really matters, the stuff of heaven. And the Apostle Paul kind of speaks to this a bit in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. He says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of what? Of heaven, right? Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father God, we bless the reading of your word. God, I bless your people. I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds to what you would have us learn about you this morning. And all your people said, Amen. Amen. So there's this story that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25 that I want to focus on. Um, this morning. This story illustrates so, so clearly why this eternal perspective, this heaven mindset is so critical for us to have if we want to experience that full exponential life that God wants for us. 
right? And this story is one of the longest in the New Testament. So for your sake, I'm going to paraphrase it. Um, and then we'll look back at some key points um, to, to this story. Um, it's called the parable of the talents. So if you want to follow along or go back and read this later on in the week, um, you can find it in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. So the story goes a little bit like this. There's this master, right? And he's about to go on a long, long journey, a long trip. But before he goes, he leaves his servants, his property, three servants, right? To the first one, he entrusts five talents. To another, he entrusts two. And to the last one, he entrusts just one. Now, you might ask, what's a talent? So the obvious one, the Greek word for talent is where we get our English word for talent, um, our unique gifts or our abilities. But it's also an Egyptian form of currency that they used at this time. So is Jesus talking about our talents, our gifts, our skills, our time and abilities, or is he talking about money? The answer is yes. Yeah, he's talking about both. It's everything that the master entrusted to us, right? So this master, he gives his servants these talents. The Bible says each according to their abilities, and he left. After this long journey comes to a close, he comes back to settle his accounts with his servants. The one that got five, he said, hey, master, check it out. You know, you gave me five. I put in the work. I hustled. I invested it. And guess what? I doubled it. The master is overjoyed. He said, well done, high five, chest bump, fist pound. You know, you killed it. You did great. He said, you've been faithful in the little things. Now I'll give you more. Let's celebrate, right? And the servant that he gave the two talents, the exact same conversation. He said, master, I took what you gave me. I doubled it. He said, I'm so proud of you. You did so great. You were faithful in the little. Now I can give you more. Let's celebrate. But the servant who got one, this is where we begin to see the story change a little bit. This is where we begin to see the shift. The Bible says that it was out of fear that the servant did nothing with what his master gave him. He didn't invest it. He didn't try to increase it. The Bible says that he just straight up buried it in the ground and hid it because he was so afraid to do anything wrong with it. When the master came to settle his account, he just gave him back what belonged to him. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's not so bad, right? I mean, at least he didn't lose it or, you know, spend it on something dumb, right? At least he still has, he came out even, right? He still has what he gave him. But listen to the powerful words that this master has for this servant. He says, you wicked and lazy servant, right? Just feel that for a moment. Kind of try and put yourself in this servant's shoes for a second. This is how much that stewardship matters to God, right? The master took the one talent from the servant and he gave it to the one that had 10. Have you ever had an aha moment while you're reading the Bible? Right, like something like you maybe you've read the story a bunch of times, and and you know, this one time for whatever reason, something just clicks, right? You have that aha moment. The biggest one for me here isn't even in this parable, in the story that Jesus is telling here. It's the reason why he's even telling these stories in the first place, and we find that in the first verse of Matthew 25. Jesus begins the, the chapter this way He says, And the kingdom of heaven will be like dot, dot, dot. Right? And he says three different parables to illustrate what the kingdom of heaven will be like. Right? Remember the question that we started out with this morning. What if we only knew then what we knew now? So what is Jesus doing here? Right? What is the purpose of this story with this parable? And how does it relate to the kingdom of God? What does it illustrate? Jesus is giving us insider information about how your life on earth exponentially impacts eternity. 
He's giving us a blueprint on how the economy of heaven works. So we have to pay attention to a couple of key ideas here in this story, right? How do we live with an eternal focus based on the story that Jesus told? First, we have to understand this concept and accept this concept. God owns everything. Say that with me this morning. God owns everything, right? You may say, I work so hard for this, right? I sacrifice my time, my energy for this. I put in the work. I earn this. I deserve this. But what does it say in, in verse 14 of our story? It said, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them what? His wealth to them, his property to them. See, it was always the property of the master, even when it was in possession of the servant. The property, the wealth, was always the property of the master, even when it was in the possession of the servant. God owns everything. And this sounds really simple, really basic, like elementary stuff, but it's so important to our lives that we realize this, right? How many of you know that God created you to be like him? Yep. Right? He, we are created in God's image. He created us to be open-handed, to be givers, to be generous with everything that he entrusted to us, our, our money, our time, our talents, our, our wealth. Here's the problem, though. If you actually begin to buy the lie that what you have is yours to own, it's really hard to be generous with it. It's really nearly impossible to let it go and to, and to be that generous person that God's called you to be. It's so much harder to live open-handedly, to live generously, because you think to yourself, like, no way, man. I've worked so hard for this. I've sacrificed way too much of my time, way too much of my money, way too much of my energy. I'm the one that made this happen, so I deserve this, right? But the moment that you begin to switch your perspective, to switch your mindset, you say, wait a second. Everything I own actually belongs to God, actually comes from God. My talents are, are not because of me. It's not because of how great I am. It's because God gifted me and equipped me to serve him in this way. I'm really, not, I'm really a steward, not an owner of these things, right? Then it becomes so easy to live open-handedly, to, to bless people over and above what they expect because none of it is yours, Right? I think this is the reason that God calls us, and it's so important to God that we honor him with our tithe. Right? Why? Because it forces us to change the way we think. It forces us to have this heavenly perspective. Our tithe is a declaration of God's ownership over our lives, over our finances, over our families, our time. It's not just some random amount of money that you know, a pastor says you need to give in order to be a member of the church. Right? It's not some arbitrary amount that we're just making up here. Every time we honor God with our first, with our best, we are declaring his ownership. Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30 speaks to this. It says, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to who? The Lord. And must be set apart to him as holy. Think about it this way. Every time you get paid, when that direct deposit hits, when you get that check in your hand, you have the opportunity to say, God, everything I have is yours, and I want to honor you with it. I love how Romans chapter 11, verse 36 puts it. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Those first three words can really change your life if you allow them to. For from him, right, comes all things. 
Remember, Jesus is giving us this insight on how our life on earth exponentially impacts heaven. It starts with that foundational idea that God owns everything. And secondly, if you're taking notes, you can write this down as well. This one may sting a little bit. You will give an account to God. You will give an account to God. An account for what? For everything you did with what he entrusted to you. Right? Verse 19 in our story says this. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came, and what did he do? He settled his accounts with his servants, right? Basically, he's saying, this is what I gave you. Now, what have you done with it? What, what did you do to hold up your end of the deal, right? This brings me back to the days that I lived with my parents, and you know, I would come home a little too late doing something maybe I probably shouldn't have been doing. Um, my dad would be waiting up. Maybe some of the parents can, can relate to this. My dad would be waiting up for me, ready to settle some accounts with me, if you know what I mean. Um, and he would hit me with this line, right? You parents know it well. Is there something you want to tell me? Is there something you want to tell me? Right? He, has anyone ever been in that situation? There's like literally no good way out of that. You, you know, if you, if you say too much, you incriminate yourself. If you don't say anything, you just look guilty. It's just not a good uh, situation. Thankfully, though, this is not actually the type of account that Jesus is talking about here. This is really important for us to understand, um, because if you're like me, I was always terrified of the idea of standing before an all-knowing God, giving an account of everything that I've done. That's a pretty scary idea, right? Um, this picture of judgment just doesn't really sit well with the idea of grace. But doesn't the Bible say that Jesus already endured the judgment on my behalf? Absolutely. Doesn't the Bible say that I'm saved by grace through faith and it's not a result of my works or how I steward my things? 100%, yes. Doesn't the Bible say that there's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ? Yes, absolutely. But you need to understand, you will still stand before God and you will still give an account for how you stewarded what he gave you. And Paul talks about this in Romans 14, 10 through 12. He says, remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Right? That, that's pretty heavy. But who is Paul writing to in Romans, right? It's not unbelievers. It's not unsaved people that, that aren't a part of the church. He's writing to the Christians in Rome, right? So this is not the judgment where God separates those who believe and follow Jesus and those that rejected him. That's one judgment, but this isn't that one. The word judgment seat of God in this passage comes from the Greek word bema. Everyone say bema. Bema, the Bema Seat of Christ. This word is a cool word. It has its origin in the beginning of the Athenian Games, which is where we get our modern-day Olympics from, right? In those days, you know, maybe you watched this past summer's Olympics. Um, in those days, it was very similar. Athletes would run their race. They would compete in all different kinds of uh, competitions and events. And at the end of the race, they would stand on a podium at the Bema Seat where wreaths would be placed on their heads for running their race well, and for winning. 
right? Here's the problem, though. The reason why we struggle with this idea of standing before the judgment seat of God is that we automatically get this picture in our heads of this angry judge that's just ready to throw down the gavel and, and you know, condemn us and say we're guilty and we're just doomed for all eternity, right? But this, that's not this picture here. That's not the Bema seat of Christ. A better picture of what that would look like is the award ceremonies of the Olympics, right? Do you, do you ever see that where they, they present all the medals, they present all the awards to the athletes? Like God is cheering you on. He's saying, come on, you've got this. I've given you, I've entrusted you with so much. Run with your whole heart. Don't give up, right? He's sitting on the edge of his throne waiting to reward you with something beyond your wildest dreams, something that will never fade away. That is the Bay Messi of Christ. That is the account that Paul is talking about. It's not something to be feared, but something that we should look forward to. But honestly, though, how would you live your life differently if you believe that to be true? How would that impact how you live your life on a day-to-day basis? How would you live if you knew at the end of it all you had to give an account of what you did with everything that God had given you, has entrusted you with? When we wrestle with this idea that God owns everything, that we will give an account, that God is longing to eternally reward us for how we stewarded what he gave us, it becomes extremely obvious that God cares that we are faithful stewards, right? that this is an important thing to him, that, that that's what this parable is really all about. And some of you are saying yes to that, to the what, right? I want that. I want to do that. I want to be rewarded. I want to live this exponential life that makes a difference, that matters in the, in the lens of eternity. But the question then becomes how, right? How do I practically take steps and how do I make changes in my life to make this happen? And if you're taking notes, you can write this down this morning. To become a faithful steward, we need to see ourselves as kingdom investors rather than earthly spenders. As kingdom investors rather than earthly spenders. We need to change the way that we look at life and see ourselves as kingdom investors, not earthly spenders. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit, though. What does that really mean First, let's talk about what is spending. Spending is probably something that we're all pretty good at at this point, right? At the end of the day, though, if you think about it, spending is nothing more than trading, right? I'm giving a certain amount of money to receive something back, whether it's food or drink or TV, whatever it is, but there's no really net ad, right? I'm just giving one thing in exchange for another. Investing, on the other hand, is different. To invest is to devote something with the expectation of an exponential return, When you invest your money into a stock, why do you do it? Because you're hoping for that stock to increase in value and make you some more money, right? Investing is just a totally different mindset than spending. It's intentional. There's a thought. There's purpose behind it. The reality is, in every second of every day, we have a choice to spend our lives or to invest them, right? I can spend a little bit of my time watching Netflix, just hanging out at the house. What do I get out of that? Nothing really, right? In exchange for my time, I get to relax, maybe veg out a little bit. There's nothing wrong with that. We, we definitely need that sometimes. It's one of my favorite pastimes. But what if I took that same amount of time, right, say once a week, and I began to mentor someone else who is going through something that God has brought me through, right? Or, or say I begin sacrificing my Friday night dinner plans, go down with Joe and Natalie to, to Patterson with his helping hands and, and begin to minister to people that way. That is an investment in God's kingdom, 
right? That, that's something that, that matters in heaven and will actually be multiplied back to you. Investing in God's kingdom will always pay dividends in your life. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to stand up here and shame you for relaxing and enjoying your time with your family or, or anything like that. I think that's important. But what I want you to see is that Jesus calls us to something so much more than, than just merely spending our, our days away, right? We're, we're on a mission. He calls us to invest in people, to disciple people, to make a gospel deposit in someone's life with the hopes that over time it will grow exponentially and they'll begin to make deposits in other people's lives. I'll give you a perfect example, actually. Pastor Tom and, and Joe, as well, both invested in me at a time in my life when I really saw nothing in myself. Right? If it wasn't for their investment in my life, it wasn't for them reaching out and getting me back involved in church, I can guarantee you that I would not be standing in front of you today preaching this message. Right? And because of that investment, I was able to invite my wife, Trish, to church and, and see her grow in her relationship with God. And, and now she, you know, she's involved with leadership of our church. She, she ministers to our kids every Sunday. So your investment can change the trajectory of someone else's life, and you won't even know it. Right? That is why it's so important to God that we have this mindset, right? that we're not just merely spending our days just passing the time, but that we're on mission, that we're, that we're ignited with a purpose, investing in his kingdom. When you see yourself as a spiritual investor, it changes you, who you are, and exponentially grows heaven. Chris Bale, he's a pastor at Life Church. He told this story that I thought fit in pretty well. So he takes his family down to Mexico, right, for vacation. When they get off the plane, his son saw the currency exchange booth, right? They became enamored, obsessed with this idea of just owning some, some foreign currency, right? And he begged them not to do it. He said, guys, everyone here accepts American dollars already. You don't need any pesos. All the parents in the room, do you think that they listened to their dad? No, of course. Um, they said, no, I want to have this. They said it was just awesome to walk around with like 8,500 pesos in their pocket, right? They didn't, they didn't use any of it, of course, throughout this whole vacation. And as, as they're on the plane back home, the dad goes, hey, did you guys, you know, exchange that money back and get your American dollars back? No, they didn't. Um, he says to this day, his boys' nightstands are just filled with stacks of pesos. <laughs> They're worth nothing, obviously, in the country that, of their origin, right? You see, they were worth something in the place that they visited for a brief time, that they spent time in there. But now that they're back home, where their home is, it's worthless, right? So I wonder how many of us here one day in heaven we'll discover what we spent a lifetime obsessing over, accumulating, and buying. We'll find out it's worthless here, right? It has no value. That 4K 80-inch TV is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I feel that God has called me to own one of those myself. Don't get me wrong here. But the Bible says in heaven that we'll see colors that the human eye can't even comprehend, and that TV will just be laughable, Right? The designer shoes, the designer bags that make you feel like you're something here, that give you that, that swagger, that, that sense of status, it doesn't matter because your identity and your status doesn't come from the things you own, but it'll flow from the fact that you're a son and the daughter of the king. Right? That stuff just begins to have no value. So what do we do right, in response to all of this, to what we know now? The only response, reasonable response is to live a life holding nothing back. 
because we know now how it will affect then, right? Jesus has told us, he's taught us how to live a life of faithful stewardship and how that can impact your forever. How can there be any other response for us than living a life of open-handedness, of, of generosity, saying, God, all that I have belongs to you. It all comes from you. All of my time, all of my gifts, all of my finances, they come from you, and I humbly give them back to you. Let me encourage you this morning. You are the 10-talent person. You are the 10-talent servant. You are not the one. You are the 10. God placed you here in this church, in this moment, for a specific purpose, for a specific mission. There is more opportunity now than ever before in human history to reach people for Jesus. Do you know that? We are living at the precipice of this moment that we could reach the most people that we ever could for the gospel. And God has chosen you to be in this place, to be a part of this community for a specific purpose. But the sobering reality is this. To whom much is given, much will be expected. Right? Jesus said that first, not Spider-Man. To whom much is given, much will be expected. Don't get me wrong here. You are not saved by your works, right? You are not saved by your tithe. You are not saved by how many people that you've brought to Jesus. You are saved by the cross of Jesus and the power of an empty tomb, period. That's it. But, and I'll ask our worship team to come forward, but how you invest your life, how you steward what God has given you will impact your eternity. It matters to God. Not only for you, but the people that you see around you, the people that will be in heaven because you chose to see their purpose through God's eyes. You chose to invest in them, to make a gospel deposit in their life that they will make good on and in turn exponentially multiply the kingdom of God. The people that will be in heaven because you chose to invest in them. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father God, we thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you that you've given us so much, God. You've entrusted us with so much, Lord. Our prayer, though, is that we don't take any of that for granted, God, but that we are constantly reminded daily of the mission and the importance of what you've called us to, God. That, that we're not here merely just to pass the time and to hoard our salvation, to hoard our relationship with you for our own personal enrichment, God, but you called us to, to pass that on to the people around us, to invest in the lives of the people around us and to grow your kingdom, Lord. God, I pray that you would give us that heavenly mindset, God. God, that you wouldn't just leave us the way that we came in this morning, God, but that you would begin to work in our hearts and our minds and, and begin to shift our focus of our lives, God, that we would just be focused on, on what you've called us to do here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.